Good morning. Delighted to see you. I hope you are well. I also hope you are not as irritable as I am about the weather. <laughs> Clearly, I need more grace than you. So, Hey, Pastor Bob has been uh, <clears throat> taking us through an exciting series on Moses, one of the unlikely leaders. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning. You may remember that uh, that series started out with Moses and the burning bush. Moses had killed a guard. He fled Egypt. He ended up in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. Out there, the Lord said it's time, and Moses was drawn to a burning bush. And that was his call from the Lord that it was time to lead his people, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. Then uh, we were reminded that uh, Moses' response were five reasons why he was not only an unlikely choice, but the wrong choice. And God answered every one of those reasons. And so we pick that story up now. Now is where the action begins. And so we're going to look at what it means to be living in between, to hear about a preferred future. And really for, for your life and mine, there are only three areas in which we would have a preferred future. One is our life purpose. One is developing godly character. And the third is relationship. But all of us, we, we are not all comfortable with using the word vision, but all of us have a preferred future. Even if it's not written down, we we have some sense of what we would like family to look like and relationship to look like, what we would like ourselves to look like and our life purpose to look like. And so Moses is being given this preferred future and he wants to believe that it will be fulfilled, but in between the snapshot of the future and the fulfillment, that's now where he is invited to live. And that place is not all mapped out ahead of time. And so Moses decides he's going to join the contest. Mary Oliver is a poet, but she's written a book of essays. And in it, she writes about herself. And she says, in the beginning, I was so young and such a stranger to myself, I hardly existed. I had to go out into the world and see it and hear it and react to it before I knew who I was and what I was. That's what Moses is. The preferred future is just a snapshot. It's an idea. He wants to live in the fulfillment, but he's in this reality gap. There have to be some of us here this morning who are in that gap. We're in a reality gap between the snapshot and the and the fulfillment of that future. And so the Lord has some things to teach us about how he dealt with Moses in that gap and how he can deal with us. The things we're going to talk about this morning do not happen to every person all the time. But they happen enough throughout Scripture and throughout other people's lives we can see them as patterns. And so Moses, having seen the burning bush, having responded to the Lord about his own inadequacies and weaknesses, decide, all right, I'm going back. And so we, we pick that up in Exodus chapter 4. 
So the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. What a reception. After 400 years in bondage to the most powerful country in the world, they heard that the Lord had heard their cries and was going to deliver them. And they were excited. They worshiped the Lord. They welcomed Moses. Sounds like a good start. It's kind of like a getting excited about vacation. You know, you get the car ready and it's all packed up and kids are in the back seat. This is going to be great. And then 80 miles down the road, you say, do I have to pull this car over? <laughs> you know, or is that just me? In our family, there were three kids and the three kids would sit in the back seat the boys would be on the outside and Natalie in the middle. Well, if you're driving and you're flailing back there, Natalie now tells me that she had an inordinately unfortunate experience of always being the one my arm would reach. <laughs> Gives you some idea of the safety with which I drove. <laughs> so Moses heads back. Now here's what's going to happen. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a little snapshot and then we're going to revisit it. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh responds with contempt. Not only does he not let the people go, he decides to, to increase the burden. The men were making bricks. He said, now you've got to send those men out. They're going to have to get their own straw too. But their quota of bricks will not be diminished. When the Israelites began to groan under that burden, they reject Moses. Hey, that didn't take long, did it? Moses goes to God. And God gives him a promise. And we're going to retrace. There are three things in this section. And by the way, when Pastor Bob asked me to speak, he's, he said, we're going to be on Moses. And I said, what, what do I work with? He says, well, anything from chapter 4 to 13. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> There's three things that are repetitive ways that God works with us when we're in this in-between space. Let's look at the first one. The death of a vision. The death of a vision. When the people heard Moses, they were excited. But the very first thing that happened was their burden got greater, not less. Things got worse, not better. And some years ago, I listened to a Bible teacher 
who lifted out a pattern he found again and again in Scripture. And I found that pattern to be very helpful to explain different events in my life. And it goes like this. God gives or helps birth a vision. Then he allows us to enter in a season of the death of the vision. And then he provides a supernatural fulfillment of the vision. The birth of a vision, the death of a vision, the supernatural fulfillment of a vision. So the Lord says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And so Abraham goes to Sarah and says, this is exciting. And years go by, one year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Sarah is not able to conceive. It appears that she is barren. The Bible says now they are old. The death of a vision. And then in their aged state, the Lord brings a son. And Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And the lineage of Israel and eventually the Messiah begins. The birth, the death, the supernatural fulfillment. The Lord gives Joseph a dream. And in that dream, people are bowing down to him, in effect, in its meaning. And he's a great leader. And he's excited about this opportunity. And then he gets on the outside with his brothers, who end up trapping him, thinking about how they might kill him, and eventually sell him as a slave to an Egyptian caravan that's going by. And in Egypt... He is a servant. Then he's thrown in prison. How in the world? How did I get from, I'm going to be a great leader, to I'm a servant and slave and now a prisoner? And yet one day when the king was having trouble interpreting a dream that he had, someone remembered that Joseph had that skill. And Joseph was brought out of prison and he interpreted the king's dream. And the king made him prime minister of the country. And he saved not only Egypt from famine. He saved his own brothers and family. Those brothers became the 12 tribes of Israel. Birth, death, supernatural fulfillment the disciples said to one another, we have found the Messiah. You won't believe it. This guy talks like nobody else talks. He does what nobody else does. They left their nets. They left their work. They left everything to follow Jesus. And then the cross. The Bible communicates to us the disciples were devastated at the death of Jesus Christ. Peter simply just gave it all up and went back to fishing, which was his early occupation. And then the stone is removed. And the burial clothes lay flat. And Jesus rises from the dead and appears to the disciples. Birth of a vision, death of a vision, supernatural fulfillment of a vision. 
And so Moses hears the voice of God, finally agrees to go back. The first thing that happens is the people, things get worse. Pharaoh rejects him. The people reject him. Death of a vision. Why does this matter? Because as fallen people, we tend to have two responses to the death of a vision. We either think God has abandoned us or we've done something wrong. Either God has abandoned us or we've done something wrong. Perhaps we are simply in a cycle that God uses to prepare us, to prepare others for the supernatural fulfillment of the vision he gives, the preferred future that he has for you and me. Do not despair. If you were in that season today. <clears throat> now there's a second thing that happens. And that's the deliverance. That God provides. Towards the fulfillment of this vision. There is a great contest of power. That now takes place. Here's the promise that the Lord gives to Moses. When Moses goes back to him after the people have rejected his leadership. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The Lord was saying, Now I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Pharaoh himself is going to send you out of this land. You won't believe it. The very roadblock is going to become an asset to the purposes of God in your life. The very roadblock in your life is going to become an asset to the purposes of God in your life. And so that's what occurs. The Lord sends Moses into Pharaoh and there proceeds to be a series of 11 confrontations with Pharaoh. Now the reason I mention that is because deliverance isn't like I just turn the page and it's all, all good. It was a roller coaster. They'd go into Pharaoh and Pharaoh would reject him. They'd go into Pharaoh and Pharaoh would promise to let him go and then renege on his promises. They'd go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh would offer compromises. In chapter 8 he says, all right, you guys can go but don't go very far. Then in chapter 10, he says, all right, you can go, but only the men. Leave your family here. In chapter 10, later on, okay, you can go and your families, but leave your possessions and livestock here. So it's no, it's yes, and then no. Now imagine if you're going back and telling somebody, hey, how'd things go today with Pharaoh? Good news, he said we could go. The next day, gather him up. Bad news, he changed his mind. Surely, many of us have been in that situation in our life. Just an emotional roller coaster. We can barely keep up with all the mixed messages and signs. And what in the world's going on? Not once, not twice, not six times, not eight times, 11 times. This contest of power went on. And why should we know that? 
because we are fallen people and we are inclined to think when it happens that either God has abandoned us or we have done something wrong. I've been reading about a woman named uh, Carol Dweck. Carol Dweck has done, spent her life researching excellence and personal performance. And she's concluded this in all of her years of study, that the primary factor related to success is not IQ, but attitude. The primary factor related to success is not IQ, but attitude, because the primary deciding factor relating to success is how we handle setbacks and failure. She feels like there are, four, there are two kinds of people. There are people who have fixed mindsets and people who have growth mindsets. A person with a fixed mindset has a general perspective like this. Well, that's just who I am. I'm never going to change. Or that's just the way the circumstances are. And no matter what I do, it's never going to change. The person with a growth mindset says, I can change. These circumstances can change. I can change these circumstances. The person with the fixed mindset becomes hopeless and overwhelmed. The person with the growth mindset stays flexible and expectant. If I have a fixed mindset, then I want to avoid challenges. I think something should just work out, and if it doesn't work out right away, then I give up easily. I don't, go, I don't have 11 meetings with Pharaoh. I think my own efforts are fruitless. And I ignore feedback as unwarranted criticism. But if I have a growth mindset, then I embrace challenges. Not because I'm excited about them. Not because I'm tickled to death that there's some roadblock. But I know something good can happen even in the midst of challenges. So I embrace challenges. I don't give up easily. I persist once, twice, three times. I believe that my efforts can lead to mastery in my own life or in my circumstances. And I'm willing to learn from criticism even if it's painful. How we handle setbacks and failures is a deciding factor in our ability to perform. So I was watching an interview with Dan Rather interviewing Jewel, the singer, a few weeks ago. In it, he talked about her personal relationship with her family, and she fled her home when she was a teenager because of her father's physical and verbal abuse. Later on, she bought a, bought a ranch and hired him, and they worked together now, and they were reconciled. The relationship was redeemed. Dan Rather says, how did that happen? And she used these words. She said, my father decided that he could change the historical and emotional vocabulary of his life. My father decided he could change the historical and emotional vocabulary of his life. 
We are pliable unless we refuse to be pliable. So, so now I'm, next month I will be 69. That is a statement of hope. <laughs> so, I'm thinking, how do, how do I stay, how do I have any vitality, spiritual, emotional vitality at this stage? And so I've been inviting the Lord into that. Well, I'll tell you one of the things he's doing. So my wife has this phrase she uses. I've always hated this phrase. She says, well, that's life. I thought, no, that's a little too chaotic. <laughs> too many windows and doors open to just say, well, that's life. I'll tell you one of the reasons I, I always resisted that. <clears throat> one of my highest traits, like I'm in the top 1% in the nation in strategic thinking. So for people and organizations, I have a perception and understanding about how things work. But you know what we do? We often hide in our strength. So by hiding in the strength of being a strategic thinker, I maintained a safe environment by being a fixer. I could see not only what was, but what was going to be, and so I could fix it before it ever got there. And so I maintained my value, even my identity, but I also protected myself by being a fixer whether it was in my family or with my children or in organizations, fix things. Maintain control, tranquility, stability. Not be surprised. But I decided that that is not who I want, my, the that is not what I want the legacy for my grandchildren to be, that their grandpa is a fixer. I want the legacy to be, he is a lover. He loves them. He's a lover of their soul, a lover of their identity and their DNA. And I realized I, I had a vocab the vocabulary of a fixer, not a lover. Now, a person doesn't have to abandon their DNA. Being a strategic thinker is part of my DNA. But I have changed the order of the list. And so in these days in my life, I am becoming more comfortable. That is not actually true. I'm not comfortable at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming more willing to accept chaos. Now, I don't mean chaos, the kind of chaos by... We're living and behaving stupidly, and so it's creating chaos. There's a kind of chaos that comes that we don't have to have. But instead of making sure that every door is locked and every window is down and everything is secure to say, and so you know how I do that? Baby steps. Every day, I take out a yellow little list thing, and the first thing I put on the list is, 
I am not alone. Because I can't be a companion and a lover and a relator first if I don't feel being loved and knowing the companionship of Christ, the love of my God, and the love of other people. First thing, the very top, I slash we are not alone. Moses would have never made it through 11 encounters with all the chaos if it were not for a growth mindset that he could handle setbacks and failures and reverses and continue to embrace the challenge, persist, deliverance to the fulfillment of the vision. And then there's a last thing that happens in Moses' life. We read it in Exodus chapter 12, and here's the principle. No matter what God is doing in your life, he's doing it at more levels than you're often aware of. If he's doing something, he's not just working on the surface level, which is not to negate the surface level. It is not the surf- that the surface level, the visible level, is unimportant. He's always at work at other levels. For example, I believe that if God's working redemptively in our life, we never learn what we learn except that we learn it for others. We may be learning it for us, but if I'm receiving something redemptively, God is going to want to use that through my life redemptively into someone else's life. Everything we learn, we learn for others. So let's look at the levels in which God was working in Moses' life. Because the children were going to be killed when Moses was born, his mother put him in a little basket and put him in the water. And one of Pharaoh's family found him. That wasn't just about a mother saving her son. The Lord was using that to put Moses in a place where he would be educated, trained. He would understand organization and politics and leadership. God was working at multiple levels, not just in his mother's life, but in Moses' life. Moses kills a guard and he escapes into the wilderness. He's not just saving his life, though he is saving his life. He spends 40 years in the very wilderness he will lead the Hebrew children through. An entire nation through a land that is short on water, short on food. And he will do it successfully because God put him in that training ground for 40 years to know how to function in that environment. He's working at multiple levels. The plagues, this confrontation he has with Pharaoh, the plague of blood in the Nile, frogs, lice, fleas, livestock are dead, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally death. But these plagues 
not only tried to get Pharaoh's attention, they were attack on the false gods of Egypt. Blood in the Nile, which was the sacred river. Frogs, which related to the fertility goddess. The death of livestock, often the mother goddess of Egypt was in the form of a cow. Darkness. The most sacred religious symbol of Egypt was the sun. Finally, death. So in his, in his birth, in his escape to the wilderness, in the bringing of the plagues, and then in this passage, the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, the final one of the plagues. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. He said the last plague will be the death of the firstborn throughout Egypt. But blood on the doorpost and the destroyer will pass by your house. But it does not take a theologian to know that this was a metaphor for the coming of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood and our ability to be redeemed and saved and delivered through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because while he was using this to save Egypt, he was setting up for us the illustration of the loving death of our Savior on a cross for us. No matter what you're going through, God is at work at more than one level in your life as he was in the life of Moses. So in three weeks, I'm going to be teaching over in uh, Seoul, South Korea at Seoul Theological University. I'm teaching a summer course on how to create and sustain empowering social environments and organizations and I'm using along with that the historical data around the ministry of John Wesley and the founding of Methodism in the 1700s in England. Wesley was an Anglican pastor and he liked being an Anglican. He never wanted to leave the Anglican church. But as he began to preach the gospel and people began to come to Christ, he began to work with the lower disadvantaged people of the country and the Anglican church leaders were furious and they said, documented, John Wesley and Methodism is our greatest enemy. And though Wesley did everything he could to stay loyal to the Anglican church, the Methodists and Wesley were kicked out. They were refused communion. Often they were not allowed to even attend worship services. And Wesley and his preacher friends were not allowed to preach inside those churches. And so Wesley went outside. 
And he began to preach on the hillsides. And he and a friend would ride into town at 5 o'clock in the morning on horseback because that's when the miners would be going to work. And they would stand on a little corner and they would sing a psalm together. And then Wesley would preach a little sermon and he would announce to these miners who, who didn't feel like they were accepted in the Queen's culture that he would be back at 5 o'clock that evening for a longer service and he would preach. And in that morning as the miners went to work there might be 150 or 200 miners. And when Wesley returned at 5 o'clock there were sometimes 10,000 people hungry to hear the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who would have never gone into the Anglican church. So Wesley got kicked out of church. But God was up to something far bigger than Wesley could have imagined that could only happen if he was outside the church. God was at work at multiple levels in Wesley's life. And so he is in yours. And if you are in that in-between place where there is a reality gap, please know that it is not because God has abandoned you, nor is it because you have done something wrong. Hold on to him. Maintain a growth mindset and hope in the promises of the Lord for you. For he says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Let's set our things aside and bow our heads if you would with me. If you're in one of those in-between places, you already know it. Would you just declare to the Lord this morning that you want to move from any point of despair to a place of hope? That just as Moses held on through encounter after encounter, you want to hold on. And you want to trust that your Redeemer liveth and he careth for you. Just pray in your own words for a moment. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the hope that you carry in your heart for us. Encourage us in the Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.